Welcome, and let's first talk compliance. I'm Catherine Short, Partnership Marketing Manager at First Healthcare Compliance. Thanks for tuning in. You can follow First Healthcare Compliance on Twitter at FirstHCC or on Facebook and Instagram at First Healthcare Compliance at First Talk Compliance. On today's episode, we're speaking with Jean M. Ransom III, CEO of the largest and oldest physician organization in Maryland, MedKai, the Maryland State Medical Society. As MedKai's chief executive, Ransom spearheads MedKai's mission as an advocate for physicians, patients, and the public health of Maryland. Today, we will be discussing medical cannabis, how it's working in Maryland and nationally. We will be examining the use of medical cannabis in Maryland, review the legal framework regarding its use, and discuss the practical aspects of the dispensing of medical cannabis from the healthcare provider's perspective, including the unique role of the recommender. So, Gene, thank you so much for joining us today. Let's get right into it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, me too. So how does the federal law on medical cannabis affect the doctors on a state level? Well, I think the first thing to really understand is, is that cannabis is not legal under federal law. Uh, and this creates all kinds of problems, particularly as states continue to pass laws that either make it legally recreationally or legally um, medically. So there's this there's this disconnect between the federal government and the state. And there are some protections under federal law that allow physicians to do medical cannabis, um, particularly under federal law. There was a Supreme Court uh the Supreme Court left standing a decision called Conant versus Waters, which ruled that the um, federal government could not uh, intervene with a physician's First Amendment rights to discuss medical marijuana with their patients. So there's a little bit of protection for them to talk about medical cannabis and medical marijuana with their patient. And in most cases, doctors are recommending. But technically, marijuana is still not legal under federal law. And that's a that's a little bit of an issue that you have to be comfortable with and understand how to work around if you're going to be involved in this type of practice. I know that some states allow recreational marijuana. How does recreational marijuana affect medical marijuana, if at all? And how many states have actually authorized medical marijuana versus recreational? Yeah, so we've gone through this sea change over the last you know, 20 years where uh, first starting with Colorado and then others have, have kind of come on board with marijuana. Of course, obviously, everything used to be uh, illegal state and federally. Uh, right now, there are 10 states that allow recreational marijuana, uh, plus Washington, D.C. Uh, the 10 states are the state of Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, Colorado, Michigan, Massachusetts, Vermont, Maine, Alaska, and then the District of Columbia. Um, are all allowing recreational uh, marijuana. Some of these states actually started by um, passing uh, medical marijuana statutes and doing that first. That was kind of how it happened in Colorado and other places. Um, but uh, even as um, recreational came online, there still is a need for, for medical and there it still occurs and it still happens. What happens is, and the reason that medical still occurs in those states is, Oftentimes, in most cases, and in almost every one of these states, there's a tax differential on the recreational marijuana and the medical marijuana. Some states don't even tax the medical marijuana. So if you have somebody who is using marijuana for a medical need, 
uh, it does make sense for them to go through the process to get a medical card and to purchase it that way because the savings is, are significant. So the business doesn't totally go away in those states. Uh, it just changes somewhat um, because in other states where it's just medical, the doctors have a lot of trouble dealing with people who are in who are really drug seekers or trying to figure out how to get uh, the product for recreational use. That problem somewhat goes away in the states where there's recreational because what happens from a practical point of view is if a patient wants to get it for recreational use, they just go buy it. Then the people who are coming to see the physicians for a recommendation are really doing it because uh, they need the medicine. And then they're also doing it because economically it saves them some money because they don't pay the very hefty taxes the states tend to put on it. Do you know how many states have authorized it medically? So medically, medically obviously the 10 states that I off have already done it medically, they're in right. addition 23 states, including Maryland, where I am, um, and, okay. and, uh, and Delaware and Pennsylvania next to me, uh, but they're, uh, who have authorized some form of medical marijuana. Now, interestingly, too, when I say that, um, you know, some states, too, have only allowed CBD, which is a different discussion altogether, but in their varying terms of what's allowed in what state. Some states don't allow edibles, others do. You really, uh, one of the things is if this is something you're interested in getting involved in, you've got to look and understand what your state law is. Uh, and there are a handful of states, Virginia, Idaho, Wyoming, Sandy, uh, uh, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa, and Montana, where it is still totally illegal. So you've got a complete mix. And one of the things that I think is really important is if this is a space where you want to do research or you want to recommend it for your patients, you've really got to research that state law uh, and look into it and understand it. And, and maybe a good place to start is calling someone like me at your state medical society to find out specifically what your state's doing. Okay. All right. So calling calling somebody like at a society like yours would be yeah. a, a great place to start. I think if you're if you're a physician and you want to recommend, uh, it's a good place to go. I mean, for example, MedKite, we have a whole section on our website that kind of goes through the state law and explains it and lets you know how you can move forward in Maryland. And I think many of the other state medical societies will be able to point you in a direction on what the state law is. But you really need to under every state has taken a little bit of a different tweak on how it works. And for example, in a state like Illinois or Maryland, the physician needs to be separately licensed and they make recommendations through a licensing process. And then in other states like Maine, they have a unique caregiver model. Uh, where you can be a licensed caregiver for up to five patients or something. And so every state is a little different with a little different tweak. And of course, Maine is now one of the recreational states, so that'll change again. But again, so it's really important to start by understanding the state law. Um, and the other thing that's really important to understand is that technically this is, that this is not legal federally. So you're going to want to make sure that you set up thinking about the fact that you're not going to want to be involved with the product. You're not going to want to touch the product. You're not going to, you're going to want to simply do recommendations. And then that way you have a certain level of protection under the Connor case. Can you tell us more about the Connor case? Again, that was the case I mentioned earlier where Connor. Uh, C-O-N-A-N-T, I don't know if I'm saying it right, <laughs> uh, versus Walters, where they're literally, they attempted to pull uh, a physician's ability to write prescriptions uh, because they were talking about medical marijuana. And essentially, uh, it wasn't the Supreme Court, it was the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, you know, no, we are not going to pull the physician's license because the physician had a First Amendment right to discuss 
medical marijuana with their patients. This is really important because this happened back in 2002, and as states began to bring medical marijuana statutes online, they took this case into consideration, and you'll hear the term recommend. So unlike other drugs where physicians write a prescription, uh, the physicians don't do that. They're not writing a script because writing a, a script is an act. This is not a FDA scheduled drug. You can't do that. Instead, what you do for medical marijuana, medical cannabis, is you write a recommendation. And, and in Maryland, the statute actually says that you write specifically that you find that medical, you recommend that medical marijuana may benefit the condition the patient has. And the reason the statutes are written that way is it's taking into consideration the federal case law to put the doctor in the best position to protect themselves legally from a problem when they um, are moving forward with this type of practice. So do physicians have a state and federal constitutional defense to any interference from federal authorities for advising patients about medical marijuana? Yeah, and I, uh, the, other, the other issue too, interestingly, is there is language in the federal budget that prohibits the Justice Department from uh, really investigating or going after someone uh, who's involved in medical uh, marijuana. So um, that, that's another um, factor. Now there was uh, additional protections and directions uh, that were released under the prior federal administration or the Obama administration. Uh, the Department of Justice had issued directives under something called the Cole Memo. Uh, that was repealed by the Trump administration. Uh, Jeff Sessions repealed that in uh, 2018 in January. So now there's a lot less clarity with regards to federal uh, interference or willingness to interfere from the administration. But again, that language in the budget remains. So there's a level of understanding in the medical space. Um, I think one of the big issues that puts, that puts the doctors in a better position is they're not actually handling or touching the products. What they're doing is they're seeing the patients determining in their best judgment that medical marijuana or cannabis could help them and they're making a recommendation so they're not they're, they're in a little better position now the people who are getting licenses to grow marijuana or dispense marijuana they're in a much more risky position because they're actually touching the product and there are a whole host of other issues uh, and that's another discussion for somebody who knows far more than i do about that but those are the ones who are taking serious risk in this space all right so I know your perspective is from Maryland. So how does a doctor become a certified recommender in Maryland? Right. So in Maryland, what happens is, and, and this is not dissimilar from other states that have this framework. Like I said, Maryland is very similar to Illinois uh, uh, in the way the statute's set up. Uh, but there are a handful of states that have a similar setup like this. Essentially, what a physician does is they uh, have to be licensed and in good standing with the Board of Physicians. They can't have any problems or dings against their physician license. Uh, and then they simply go to the Maryland Cannabis Commission and they sign up uh, to be a uh, recommender. The Cannabis Commission makes sure that they're in good standing. Not only must they be appropriately licensed uh, in Maryland, they have to have, ironically, I find this rather ironic, uh, a controlled dangerous substance license, both from the state of Maryland and from the federal government. I find this ironic because marijuana obviously is not a scheduled drug, but it makes sense from a practical point of view. So if you meet those conditions, uh, you can sign up as a recommender and then you're able to go off and running. 
And again, different states have different standards for this. Some states do not require a special license. Uh, for example, Colorado does not. Uh, a physician who's a physician can write a recommendation. There's no requirement there be a special uh, marijuana license. Um, and again, other states are, you, you really need to look and see what your state requires. In the state of Maryland, uh, it is required that you, you have a special uh, marijuana recommender license or medical cannabis license from the commission to be a recommender. Okay, what about the Medical Cannabis Commission? What what do they do? So the commission kind of is the, the road traffic cop for the entire system here. Uh, in Maryland, the commission issues the physician licenses uh, and actually other, other folks than physicians can also recommend. In Maryland, we allow uh, physicians, nurse practitioners, podiatrists, and dentists to recommend marijuana, and they have the same process, and the, the Cannabis Commission licenses them. The Cannabis Commission awarded the licenses to the growers, the dispensers, uh, the processors, so they do all that. Uh, they regulate everybody and make sure uh, that, that everyone is complying and there's try to prevent diversion and issues like that. Uh, the other thing the Maryland Cannabis Commission does is they actually manage the software uh, and all the technology that allows uh, for the information to flow um, between the parties, between the recommender, the patient, and the um, dispensaries. So everyone knows exactly how much product the patient is purchasing and what they're getting, and they're within compliance to make sure that they're not buying above their allowed amount uh, and that, that everything is worked through that system. So they really are the traffic cop for the entire economic model here in Maryland. Okay. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to First Talk Compliance, and my guest today is Jean M. Ransom III, CEO of the largest and oldest physician organization in Maryland, MedCi, the Maryland State Medical Society, in a discussion of medical cannabis, how it's working in Maryland and nationally. So what is state policy in Maryland about employees' use of cannabis? Well, so this is another really important issue here in Maryland, and frankly, this is an issue that no matter what state you're in, you really have to pay attention to. Maryland has a large number of federal facilities, given the fact we're so close to D.C., and it, you are not allowed to use cannabis on a federal facility, and that's a really important thing. In the District of Columbia, there have been people who have legally purchased cannabis, uh, and ended up being arrested because they were on a federal enclave or a federal facility. This is the case in every state in the nation. So no matter what state you're in, if it's a state that allows for medical or recreational cannabis and you're on a federal facility and you're using the product, it's not legal, you can get yourself in trouble. The I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. The, well, it's important yeah. to know too because you could be, for example, you can be in California and you walk out of a recreational dispensary where you legally buy a product and then you walk uh, in San Diego to one of the federal facilities and all of a sudden you're getting arrested and you could face a very long prison sentence. So uh, your patients really need to understand this, that, that, that it's a significant risk and it's real. Um, with regards to employers, employers have the right to discipline you, punish you, um, and do anything they want with regards to, to medical cannabis. And again, this is just like every other state. In fact, some of the states where the medical marijuana or the cannabis market is more um, developed have been struggling with this. And there have been a lot of news stories about things that have happened in Colorado because they've been kind of 
on the forefront of these things, but it's a major issue uh, for people who are taking this medicine, um, and you really need to inform your patients of that risk, and they need to understand that if they're going to do this, they probably need to have a discussion with their employer and understand what their employer's policy is with regards to drug use and what that means. Again, too, I think it's really important to, re to remember if you're a healthcare practitioner who's making recommendations, um, and we recommend that physicians who are making recommendations uh, have a contract similar to what pain management doctors do with pain management clients. And you should really make sure uh, patients understand uh, that, that their employer might have rules or regulations that they've got to comply with and they've got to follow. And secondly, they got to make sure they understand some of these pitfalls and dangers of using this product, um, given the fact that we have a very complex and split regulatory scheme. So how about insurance? Does it cover the office visits to a recommending physician? So that's a great question, and the answer to it is it could for parts of it. So that's really? a big, big problem for physicians. So here's the reason. Um, in Maryland, the standard of care is to do a full exam and review all the medical records uh, for, the, for, for the patient, right? So that's something that a physician is clearly able to bill uh, and is able to code for and, and, and go ahead and put in. However, the actual recommendation is clearly a non-covered service. So parts of the services are not in part all are. This obviously creates a big problem for the practitioner because they cannot bill for the recommendation part of the work or the marijuana part of the work or the monitoring of the marijuana of the work, but the initial evaluations and other things might be billable. So that means that the physician needs to really think about what their insurance contracts say. Um, some physicians have decided to create LLCs and with a different uh, tax identification number and run it separately from a practical point of view. And by doing that, they don't have to worry about the insurance rules and they just charge cash for anything that's related to the marijuana business and do it separately. The other benefit of that is you don't have the risk of running a recommender practice with your standard practice and maybe you're taking a lot of government funds for Medicare or Medicaid. So you get a little higher level of protection on that front but also you don't have to worry about a contract you might have with a carrier that says that you can't bill for covered services. So this really creates a big conundrum for physicians because most of what they do is not covered, but some of it is. And what happens when you have the patient who submits the bill to the insurance carrier and then you have a confusion and complexity? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> That's the reaction that a lot of physicians have because they, you know, most physicians will instantly think, oh, this is a non-covered service, no big deal, cash payment. And they don't think about the fact that, well, wait a second, I'm doing a full history and physical and some of this might actually be. And they, they don't think about the fact that the, the patient might take the bill or the charge and submit it to the insurance company. And uh -huh. And the insurance company is calling them and saying, wait a second, uh, yeah, you're right, you can charge cash for the recommendation and monitoring part, but this initial physical and history probably should have been billed under the, you know, and then they've got a problem on their hand because they're balance billing against their contract that they signed, and it, it is complicated, and it's something to right. think about. Um, I, I think I've been telling a lot of the physicians who call me, and, and even though I'm the CEO, I happen to be an attorney, and I get a lot of phone calls, I say, I suggest to them strongly, I think it makes a lot of sense, unless you're doing just a small number that you've integrated in your practice, I think it makes a lot of sense to, to set it up as a separate LLC if you're going to be doing a large number of these. Get it away from the stuff where you've got government billing. Get a new TIN, tax identification number, um, and just kind of do that to have that extra level of comfort, uh, given the fact 
that this is not really accepted across the board everywhere yet. I think that's happening um, from a business point of view, but it's not there yet. And I just think that's the safer way to go. That's my personal suggestion. But there might be other suggestions and other lawyers say other things, obviously. But that's kind of my my thought process on it, at least here in the state of Maryland. Okay. Yeah, that's a bit of a head scratcher. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What can cause a recommending physician to amend or revoke a patient's certification? Right. So so uh, essentially in Maryland, what happens is the patient, you know, goes and signs up in, in, with the Cannabis Commission to, to be a cannabis patient. Once they sign up, they go to a physician who's properly licensed by the Cannabis Commission. If the physician finds that this patient uh, meets the condition, has a condition that qualifies, and they've reviewed their history and done what they need to do, and they make the recommendation, um, then what happens is, is the patient can go buy uh, from a, a licensed dispensary or grower, uh, and they're, they're good to move. Uh, occasionally, uh, obviously, you'll have patients who, who maybe are diverting or doing things they shouldn't be doing, and in that case, uh, the physician, if they find out about it or know about it, really have a duty to go into the computer system and revoke that recommendation. The physician has the power to revoke uh, for any uh, any reason that's reasonable whatsoever, uh, that they really are the ones who have that control. And to do that, all they need to do is go into the uh, Cannabis Commission uh, data system and they can revoke that uh, authority. Most cases, in most cases, that will, I've heard of this happening is when diversion is occurring. Uh, when the person is getting levels of cannabis that are really high or the physician finds out they've been giving it to friends or uh, other people for recreational use. That's where I hear it most common. Uh, physicians obviously don't want to revoke the medicine of a patient unless there's no reason, to, unless there's a reason to do so. But the physicians in Maryland do have that absolute power uh, and I would assume that in other states it would be similar as well. I do think it's important for a physician who's thinking about doing this to really think about what are their standards going to be uh, as far as who are they going to be willing to recommend from a risk point of view, and then also how, what process or what rules are they going to have in place as a practitioner to deal with problem patients like that. And that's why I think, and this is another recommendation that I've made to a lot of physicians is you really should have a contract with these patients. You should treat them very similar to the way pain management folks treat pain management patients, uh, where there's an agreement, where they understand uh, what the rules are, what the deal is, and what their responsibilities are, what their risk is. I think that puts you in a better position as a practitioner. And, and, it, and I think it helps the patient because they understand the seriousness of what this is uh, and, and the risk that they're taking. How does a patient get a medical cannabis card in the first place? Well, again, I think that the first the first step in Maryland is is that is that Cannabis Commission website and signing up uh, and requesting it. And there's a very simple form, a very simple a couple of things you have to answer and you have to fill out. Uh, once you've done that, the next step is going to a properly licensed practitioner who's a cannabis physician uh, who can who's licensed by the state who can take the information you load in the database. They can look through your history and your, bring your history and your medical records and everything to that doc. That doctor can then make the recommendation they need if it's one of the qualifying conditions. The physician goes into the same computer system, the same database, pulls up the patient's record and approves it with their number. And once those things are happen, the patient is able to get a card. In fact, um, everyone is required to purchase, get a card, uh, a cannabis commission card. 
Uh, and that card's very helpful to the patient because uh, if they um, get stopped by an officer or by somebody else and they have marijuana on them or they smell like it, they can explain that it's their medicine and it can prevent them from having a major problem. So the computer system is really how everything is regulated and everything is intertwined, where the physician puts their recommendation through the Cannabis Commission computer system, the patient signs up through the Cannabis Commission computer system, and the dispensaries are seeing what the patient's purchasing through the system. It's kind of all regulated through that. But once those, once those two conditions are met, which the patient has properly uh, opened up an account and filed everything appropriately, and once the physician has made the recommendation, they can simply request a card. And in fact, they need to request a card um, so they can purchase product. Okay. And then does it take a certain type of provider or can any type of provider become a recommender? Right. So in Maryland, and this is this varies greatly from state to state. So this is another one where you really need to look at the state law. So in Maryland, uh, we allow physicians, uh, nurse practitioners, podiatrists, and dentists. Interestingly, PAs cannot in Maryland. In some states, huh. PAs can. Um, I don't know why PAs can. I think they. I don't. It does, they may, if you're going to let a nurse practitioner or podiatrist do it, you should let a PA do it too. But um, but nonetheless. Uh, uh, the, so, but every state determines that separately, and uh, that's what the law is here. Uh, but again, if, if this is something you're getting into, that's that will be a kind of critical first question I'd want to ask uh, uh, when I when I when I would call my local state medical society and said, "Hey, uh, this is something I'm really interested in doing as a practice. I definitely want to know which of my mid-level employees would be allowed to do it, uh, and who I'd have involved in it." Well, thank you so much, Gene. I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on the show. Do you have any other points of advice or, or tips for us, for our well, listeners? What I would suggest is on the on the MedKai webpage, which is www.medkai.org, we have a, a whole section on medical cannabis in Maryland and a whole lot of information there that is helpful, not just in the state of Maryland, but generally on the issue. And, and people can feel free to reach out to me if they have questions or want to know more about uh, medical cannabis in Maryland. You know, MedKai technically doesn't have a position on it. We have physicians who really don't like medical cannabis and think that this isn't the way to do it. And we have physicians who are writing recommendations who are active members every day. And I think that uh, the physician community and the healthcare community are really split on this complicated issue. Um, so it's hard to find good resources. And we've been focused on explaining the law, explaining the business problems and working through them. Uh, the physicians are really fighting over clinically whether this is real uh, or whether it's a placebo or whether it really does some things. It clearly doesn't do everything some people claim it does. Uh, and those discussions we aren't commenting on because we don't understand the science of it. My doctors haven't come to a conclusion on that yet. Uh, but we do understand the law and the business part and how to try to do this if you want to do this in a way that puts you in the best position possible. It is a risky uh, thing to be involved in, and you need to be comfortable with taking some risk if you're going to be involved in something like this. Um, but some doctors have felt that it's helped people, and they want to do it, and they want to help their patients. Particularly, I've heard some really touching stories around fibromyalgia, Parkinson's, and palliative care. Uh, frankly, if you're in hospice and it makes you feel a little better, it kind of makes sense to me from a practical point of view. But, but again, check our website out, and people shouldn't uh, should feel comfortable reaching out to me. Um, on this issue or any other issue related to physicians in Maryland. Okay, well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, thank you. 
All right. And thanks to our audience for tuning in to First Talk Compliance. You can learn more about our show on the program's page on healthcarenowradio.com and lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at FirstHCC or hashtag FirstTalkCompliance. You can also email me at Catherine Short at FirstHCC.com. I'm Catherine Short of First Healthcare Compliance. Remember, compliance is the key to achieving peace of mind.